Like what you hear, but not yet an AEI premium member? Go to aei.ag premium to sign up for the free trial today. Welcome. Thank you for joining. A lot of stuff to talk about, uh, a lot of sort of moving pieces. But Brent, to kick us off, I want to go back to an article we wrote at the beginning of the month. Hadn't talked about it here, but it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. You always read articles and it says, Iowa, the nation's biggest corn state, then fill in the blank in a drought or has a windstorm or has a phenomenal crop. And no one ever really quantifies how big Iowa is. So we took a crack at this for corn and soybean production. And we made a map for every state and said, how big of a share of annual production here in 2021 are we going to face? It's going to help us think about drought and dry weather. And we put this together. Iowa accounts for about 17% of the nation's corn crop, assuming 2021 acreage and normal yields. If you take the big four, so Minnesota, Iowa, 17%. Illinois at almost 15%, then Nebraska at 12%, and then Minnesota close to 10%, a little more than 10%. They collectively have about 54% of the nation's corn crop. I think corn production, looking at these maps, is a little more distributed or dispersed than what we might initially think. I doubt many people would guess that North and South Dakota combined or would be the you know, as big as Minnesota. And actually, it surprised me. I mean, even look at those numbers. I was, I guess I don't know who else I would have thought would have been up there. But uh, Minnesota is pretty significant corn producer as well, a lot bigger than what a lot of people would think. And initially, I always talk about I states and, you know, Indiana is at 6%, it's basically the same size as South Dakota. All right. Of course, you know, Indiana is, there's a lot of factors going on there, right? Corn is very intensely grown in Indiana, probably more intensely grown than in South Dakota. But South Absolutely. Dakota is just a big geographic state. Yeah. And something I want to write about here is maps sort of distort our thinking sometimes. So even this map, <laughs> it's hard to realize corn doesn't grow in every corner of South Dakota. It grows in about every corner of Indiana. But we got to think about this a little bit. Geographic issue. You've also got Indiana's pretty much a 50-50 state. A lot of soybeans is grown as well and, and definitely more intensively grown. It is kind of interesting when you look at it and we can see that, you know, that's been pretty dry in some of those areas this year. So the thing is that caught my attention, Indiana, Ohio equal about 10.3% of corn production, North Dakota and South Dakota are 9.3%. I would have never guessed that they were that close to each other in terms of, in terms of scale, sort of a Eastern corn belt and uh, extreme Eastern corn belt and extreme Western corn belt. Soybeans, interesting, the same big four. So the same four states I mentioned earlier, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois are still the same big four. They changed their ranking a little bit, but collectively they're only about 41% of total production in the low 40s. And so soybean production is even more dispersed than what we saw for corn. So now North Dakota and South Dakota are almost 12% of combined production for context or comparison. 
Iowa is 12.8%. And so they're within one percentage point of competing with Iowa. Again, a geography and intensity issue. Also, if you look at the map, you start to see this Southern region of production. So Missouri, Arkansas, here I'm having my own little quiz here as I look at the map, (laughs) Louisiana and Mississippi, right? These are count for a pretty decent share collectively of soybean production. And they're just a pretty small scale of the corn. So Article here, you can definitely read more of the details, but this is a map that's going to be handy for you to to keep around because you're going to hear a lot of data thrown out. And it's, well, how do we really think about if the entire state of Iowa is burnt up in a drought, how does that impact the national number? Well, when it accounts for 13% of total soybean production, it's the impact is kind of limited because it's just not as intense as maybe we initially thought. The other thing to remember is, you know, if Iowa's burn up, it's probably going to be pretty widespread. Rainfall fairly reliable in that area, but not a little bit further east, even more more reliable. So, last week we talked about errors that are remaining in the forecasts of USDA yields. I wrote a new article, so readers can check that out. But we're revisiting this, and we're not going to rehash sort of the thing we talked about last week, which is a lot of air still remain. But I'm going to dive into this a little more of some new data. You pushed me back and said, let's look at these errors on a relative basis. So the average absolute air for the USDA's August forecast on corn is 4.6 bushels or 3.1%. On soybeans, it's it's bigger. It's only two bushels, but that's 5.3% air. And so across the board, soybeans just have more air, average air, for each forecast period than corn. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Just to rehash a little bit, this is if you take the August WASDE and compare it to the final yield estimate that the USDA puts out, you know, how, how much uncertainty is it? David and I were just kind of glancing at these tables and corn caught our eye. You know, interesting, there have been some pretty big errors over time. One of the years, they actually got got it really close, though, after their first miss was 2012. In 2012, corn yields were 36 and a half bushels below trend. By August, their estimate was only 0.3 off the final estimate. So it's one of the, after you got to August, they got that one pretty close. Compare that to last year, the August estimate was 10 bushels off. 10, and 10 bushel off, if they were 10 bushels off this year, like you told me uh, offline, people lose their mind. 10 bushel miss this year. We've had four 10 bushel errors, two of the upside, two to the downside, in 20 years. And so the frequency of these in August, right? The frequency of these is probably a little higher than what most of us want to think about. Um, One in five, that's 20%. Yeah. Now who who knows they'll be off that much this year, but boy, if they were, it would, they would shake things up either way. Another data point that jumped out at us was 2004. This was a year again, a big year for corn yields, 18 bushels above trend. For context, that would be well into 195 bushels here in 2021 standards. But look at when the USDA really started to zero in on that. They were 10, 11 bushels off all the way through September. And so sometimes it takes a while to really size these crops up. So 2012 stands out as a year they were able to quickly zero in on this. 
but 2004 stands out as a year where they were slow to respond. And I guess it took a while to get figured out, but even in 2020, we were six bushels off by October. So in general, the air reduces throughout the year, but we can still have some surprises that linger out there. So the point of all this is, you know, the jury's still out on the corn and soybean. Soybean yield even more so than the corn yield and still a lot of potential for changes. I don't know about everybody else, but at some point it's, it's kind of like, well, I wish, <laughs> wish the uncertainty would be over at some point, but it seems like it just keeps coming. One of the ways that we think about this, Brent, is if the USDA's current number is 174.6, think about what sort of range you would want to put on that to be confident of where this is going to finally be at. And unfortunately for most of us, I think without the base rate, without this base rate knowledge, we'd probably say, oh, plus or minus a couple bushels, maybe five bushels at the most. And I, I have to step back and say, okay, we probably need to add more like a 10 bushel buffer and not be surprised if it goes outside of that range. So 10 bushels up and 10 bushels down is sort of how I have had to adjust my thinking. I, I would have been closer to three or four without looking at this data and I need to spread it even more wide. Yeah. I think there's a real tendency to sit here and say, oh, it's 174. I like that number. <laughs> you know, we'll take that and go. It is a good exercise to say, okay, well, let, let's write down two numbers that you think capture the low and the high with, as Annie Duke would say, you're pretty sure is going to capture it, or you're very, very sure it's going to capture it. Use that as a thought exercise and then think through what that might mean for your, your risk management plans. One more article to talk about, Brent. You know, China's total ag purchases are on fire is the fastest pace we've seen. If we think about the pace is somewhere to $33 billion. If everything holds together, half the calendar year is through on these data through June, but more than half of the trade activity is still looming. So what's happened, and we looked at year over year. So the first six months of 2020 versus the first six months of 2021. And it's really corn that jumps out as the big mover here. So you know, $3 billion in additional purchases in the first half of 2021 versus the first half of 2020. Really big questions about how long these corn purchases will continue. Another data point that I added here is beef. Beef purchases are only up $600 million, which is a very small sliver on this total $7 billion increase year over year. It's also 10 times larger. So beef activity in 20. 21, the first six months is 10x larger than the first six months of 2020. So you can read the article for more details on that. But there's a lot of interesting things going on in this this trade data. So we have a lot of moving pieces to keep an eye on. The corn number is impressive. Soybean number is pretty impressive too. Another 2 billion, put those two together and you got most of it. The other one that just made me smile a little bit is sorghum. Sorghum's back in the game. China, I remember when they used to just go nuts on buying sorghum there for a while when they weren't buying corn or buying the sorghum instead. And now they're buying both of them. $1.2 billion extra in the sorghum market is probably, I don't know how big that market is off the top of my head, but that's probably influential, I would say. So at one point they're buying, I think like 90% of the globally traded sorghum in the world. So yeah, they are a huge buyer of sorghum. So lots of, uh, as the sorghum market really ebbs and flows with China's trade status towards sorghum. So that's an important uh, risk that you want to keep an eye on as you're thinking about playing that crop. Yeah, because some of that is driven by policy stuff, I think internally and how 
different things qualify for different tariffs and quotas and but you know the other billion bushels of sorghum probably has some guys smiling i would guess just a lot of data to keep an eye on and the key takeaway here is there's still a lot of year left and China buys a whole lot of soybeans the last quarter, the last three months of the year. But as we look at the data, this is really sort of uncharted territory for going to June, about $15 billion of activity through June. $15 billion was sort of the trade war average, right? When we were in the trade war, that's the total annual purchases. So we're just sort of on a fast growth here and going to keep it on that. Of course, we had the forecast network question about China purchasing more than 15 billion. So you have to keep your eye on that. So that's all I have to share this week. Brent, anything on your end? No, I just am looking at that chart and I get I guess I've you know I've seen it so many times, but I really looked at it this time. And yeah, it's really as you said, on fire. We are way above anything uh we've seen in recent times. And I think that also puts that trade war in perspective, just how damaging that was. We've already sold more stuff than we sold in the trade war years. Not quite 19, but we're, we're awful close. Probably by now we are. And of course, the not a lot of folks are talking about phase one trade agreement, and we never really want to focus on the phase one. We were saying, is China going to buy substantially more? And 29 billion is sort of the high watermark. So if we cross into 30 billion, you know, we're in sort of a new a new level here. So we'll keep an eye on that and we'll keep you updated as, as we move forward. So that's all for us this week. In the meantime, stay curious and send us all your good questions or topic ideas. We'll keep working through those throughout the rest of the summer and fall. Thank you. 